Alcohol Tipping Point is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This podcast is also brought to you by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communications experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As a locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organization more visible with custom branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide format printing for signs, as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Want better ways to get noticed? Visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com slash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That's 208 208- Four six seven seven four six eight. Welcome to the Alcohol Tipping Point podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Maisner. Uh, today I have Christina Kimbrough with me. She is um, the host of A Thousand Hours Dry Military. She has her own website blog uh, at it's www.christinakimbro.com. And I'm just super excited to have her here today and share her story um, about her alcohol use and how that's affected her life. So welcome, Christina. Yeah, thank you. I feel so grateful to be here and share this space with you. Yeah. Now, where are you calling in from? Yeah, so um, I am in Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, it's kind of like if you know where Virginia Beach is, um, about three, three hours south of D.C. Okay, fantastic. So East Coast. Yes, I'm very, yes, East Coast. I'm um, originally from Cleveland, Ohio, but my husband is in the Navy, so we are stationed here. Okay, fantastic. Um, And tell me just a little bit about just what your background is, what you do, um, before we get into your experience with alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I graduated in 2011, which feels so weird to say, I feel like time's going so fast, but, uh, with my bachelor's in journalism. So, um, communications major, um, I started out working in nonprofits and, um, government. And then I met my husband, um, uh, and more military, like I said, so we had to move around a lot. Um, so I started to work for myself about four years ago um, as like a marketing consultant and then a uh, content creator and writer. So that's kind of what I do currently is um, post content on my own website, write for some local magazines, and then create content on my own Instagram. And then, um, like you said, a thousand hours dry. And I focus on mental health and sobriety. Great. Okay. Well, that leads right into what your experience with alcohol has been. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I was just listening to your, I think it was your latest one or one of the recent ones. Um, someone was talking about how they, he started drinking uh, socially and then I kind of, my addiction didn't ramp up until I'm 32. So I would say like my early thirties. Um, I, 
so my family doesn't drink. They're um, just kind of Christian background, just never drank, right? So I wasn't really around it. Um, interestingly enough, I didn't drink in college. I went to small private school and, you know, but I will, looking back when I did drink, I was the one, you know, puking in the bathroom, crying, <laughs> you know, blacking out. Um, so I did have problematic drinking from the start, but I really, I hated that and I did not like the way it made me feel. So I kind of, um, just didn't really drink throughout college. And then, um, I started drinking my real heavy drinking started. 24, 25, I met my husband, um, in San Diego and, um, he was a friend of my brother who was stationed there. He's a Marine. Uh, we were drinking the whole weekend and, you know, we moved to Florida, uh, and, you know, military culture is huge drinking, um, you know, partying. And so I just kind of did what everyone else did. I didn't really see that I had a problem. Um, and then it continued and I moved to Virginia and I, I would go to parties and like the happy hours, but I was the one not coming home. I, like, I was mm-hmm. out till, you know, 2am, my husband would have to come get me, uh, type thing. And then in 2020, I hit a low, I had gotten a new job that I really wanted. Um, I actually stayed all, all night, uh, drinking, um, to like 8am. I know it's crazy. I found people to drink with, you know, if, if you're an alcoholic or you identify that way, you will definitely find the people that <laughs> are drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I showed up to that job intoxicated. I went on like a two day binge where I stayed intoxicated the whole time. Um, I got high on Adderall. Like it, it, it was a real low point for me and I came home. Um, and my husband was like, I don't know what to do. You know, this is, you need help. And I was like, I agree. <laughs> so I decided to move home to Cleveland, Ohio, um, where I'm from, live with my grandma, uh, got sober. My sober date February 3rd, 2020. I did an intensive outpatient, um, for like eight weeks. And the day that I finished everything in Ohio shut down, um, so that was, I, I feel blessed that I was able to finish that program, um, and then get sober. So it's kind of a long, long way of telling you my story, but it's, it's been a journey. Yeah. So bef- prior to, um, kind of your proverbial rock bottom, um, had you tried to quit drinking? Yes. Great question. Um, yeah, so I knew, I think it was like 29 or 30, right? When I was like, okay, I have a problem. You know, I, I, I was, like I said, I was staying out at the happy hours and then it started where, so I worked for myself, which made it kind of dangerous because if, you know, I was very project based, right? So I could finish a project and if I was done, you know, early in the day, I could start drinking when I wanted to. So, you know, maybe I was done and I would start drinking around three or four and it it just progressed um, and got worse. So I realized I was like, yeah, I need to quit. So, I went, I started AA. I really, I tried, I was what they call, you know, in and out of the rooms, um, for about two years. And besides AA, I just didn't know anywhere else to go. I think that's kind of a common thing. Um, you know, you hear the recovery circles and I didn't really know what to do. So yeah, I mean, there were many relapses. I think I maybe could string together, you know, a week or two. My grandma actually came and lived with us for like a month. Um, and I was still drinking when she was there and hiking it. So, um, yeah, it took me about two years to get sober. Yeah. And what do you think was different 
when you did, when you said you went back home, lived with your grandma, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And did the intensive outpatient. Tell me what that was like. Yeah, so I really attribute the me being able to quit to that. I mean, so um, I don't. I wouldn't say I was addicted. I I wasn't like craving it, or I wasn't you know waking up and needing a beer right away. But I was headed that way, um, and I entered outpatient. I was like, it was the most humbling experience because they would drug test you every morning, so you had to pee in a cup in front of someone. You know, they were in the bathroom with you type thing. And I remember being like, oh my god, you know, this is where my life's come to people don't trust me um and then actually my grandma took my keys well I mean I volunteered them it was kind of like a deal we made because I was still drinking when I got to her house at first uh drinking and driving and you know I like being open about that because I think it's very common and Mm -hmm. you know I I like to just share like how dangerous that is and it's just a reality of active addiction but um yeah so I'd hit that low um my grandma had to drive me to my outpatient. You know, I didn't use my car. I didn't have money, any of that. So I could, because I was sneaking alcohol. Um, and so that, yeah, outpatient saved my life because I knew I felt like at this point I was like, I need help. And this is my last resort. And, um, you know, you would get kicked out of the program if they found any, you know, substance in your urine. So it was like, okay, you know, um, so that first month, really, I mean, that's what kept me sober was just kind of like, you can't screw this up. So. Yeah. And, and I don't really know that much about the outpatient experience. So tell me more, like, was that a daily thing? Was that all day? And and how did you decide to go that route versus doing like an inpatient rehab? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to answer the second question, I, yeah, I didn't want to do inpatient because I wasn't chemically dependent, you know, like I didn't, um, I didn't need to detox cause I could go like, you know, two or three days without alcohol, which isn't great. But I mean, I, I just wasn't, you know, chemically dependent where I felt like that, that felt like a big, that felt like a big commitment. I just wasn't there. Um, so I called around and found out I had done outpatient for mental health before. Mm -hmm. Um, and basically it's group therapy. It was, it was pretty intense. I mean, that's why they call it intensive outpatient. Um, it's, it's, I think it was like four days a week from like nine to two. So yeah, yeah. So it is, um, you show up and there's, you know, licensed addiction therapists, um, social workers, and you get like a care plan uh, on how you're going to stay sober. They ask you questions. Um, and then it's just group therapy to learn about addiction, where it comes from, um, you know, the chemi- the way it chemically alters your brain. And then they also help you learn coping skills, you know, for anxiety, depression, um, you know, whatever may have caused you to drink. So, yeah, that was amazing yeah and they do daily uh drug testing yeah yeah it wasn't every day but it would be random okay so they would yeah so they would call you out in the middle of class you know like you know it wasn't like not embarrassing but they would say hey can you turn a drug test and you would be pulled out of group and um so just knowing that you know it was like okay it, this could happen any day so I can't have that one drink even if I'm craving it which was probably helpful. So helpful. Oh my gosh. I mean, I attribute that to how I got sober that first month because once I 
you know, once the, like the, I would say the first week I was obsessing over alcohol and I still had that phenomenon of craving, craving as they say, you know, and I, I, I thought about it a lot. It was still tempted, but once I could get over the hump of like that month and kind of clear my brain, um, you know, and get kind of reset my body, um, and I saw that I could do it, the obsession definitely, uh, subsided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you practice, you, you gain confidence in yourself. Exactly. Well, what were some of the, the takeaways from that program that you learned? You mentioned coping skills. You learned about how your body uses alcohol, the chemical imbalances. What were some of the takeaways? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing would be, I just learned for me, anxiety was a big reason I drank. So I learned, um, just about like, I mean, the idea of like how, like I was on medicine and so I'm for anxiety and how that, you know, alcohol makes it worse, you know, and it impacts it. You're basically your medicine's not going to work. Right. So just learning that was like, gosh, okay. That makes sense. Why, you know, I, my medicine isn't working and I'm getting frustrated, you know, because I'm putting a chemical in my body. So kind of just understanding that. And then also just kind of diving into some of the trauma that I had, you know, been through in childhood and just the impact that trauma has on the brain um, and what it takes, you know, how that can make me, um, you know, more susceptible to addiction, um, that made me try and figure out, you know, okay, what do I need to heal from? What inner child work do I need to do? That kind of thing. And then honestly, I started meditating. Uh, they introduced mindfulness to us. Um, and then I actually meditate now pretty much every day, at least for 10 minutes. Um, and that was life changing. Yeah. I'm a big fan of meditation and mindfulness. Um, yeah. What does, what does, a, what does your meditation look like? Cause I think a lot of people have different perceptions of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say I am a guided meditation person all the way. I, mm-hmm. uh, I try, you know, just kind of sitting by myself and like breathing deeply and stuff. And, um, for me, it's just, I love, I've used apps. So I either use insight timer, you know, which is free or I use calm, um, and I love calm. It's just beautiful. There's like a daily one with a different theme every day. And then there's ones for anything you can think of, you know, whether it's anxiety, depression, performance, anxiety, you know, whatever you're going through. Um, and I lay or sit, kind of light a candle. Um, and you know, I have an active brain. I do. I've never reached that place where it's like, you know, my brain, my brain's completely clear. And, you know, I think that's a misperception with mind or mindfulness and, um, meditation that it's to clear the mind, but I, it really, for me, is just kind of learning to sit back and observe those thoughts and not attach to them. Yeah. Yeah. It takes practice. That's for sure. So much practice. <laughs> um, what, so, so you did your inpatient intensive therapy, you got out, and the pandemic hit. Tell me yeah. about what it was like for you after that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I ended that. And, you know, it's kind of scary because it was like, oh, my gosh, that had been my safe space, you know, and it had given me structure. And I didn't have a job, you know, because of COVID. And I had moved and all these crazy things. So it was kind of like, um, you know, now what? Um, and I had used AA when I first got there. but And I was going for about a month. 
because I moved in January 2020 and, you know, that's right before everything shut down. So I had found a sponsor and I had found um, AA, but that I only had gone to a month of meetings, you know, once a week. Um, and so that all shut down. So, again, I lost that support group. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was a huge, huge adjustment uh I was started doing like two meetings a week online and you know calling my sponsor every day but the my first sponsor actually relapsed um because of COVID she after like 10 years of sobriety um and so that was another challenge wow. to like wow yeah um, yeah that was super scary because I think at that point I had like two months sober you know something like that um at first it was scary but then it was motivation to really like work on my recovery um and I would just say that I really, that's when my Instagram and blogging kind of took off. I, at a month sober, I shared openly that I identified as an alcoholic and I had been struggling. Um, and nobody knew that about me. I had bipolar and anxiety and I had shared openly about that. Uh, but nobody knew about my substance abuse except for like my husband, maybe a few close friends and family. But uh, so yeah, I just, I dove into the Instagram world and found, um, I did like an online school through Tempest. Um, and they're like, it's, it's basically helped to quit drinking or examine your relationship with drinking. I did like a six week online course. And then I joined, we are the luckiest, um, which is just online again, like online meetings. Um, so I just, it, it I always say like COVID was crazy because it was like, oh gosh, you know, my in people in person meetings were taken away, but then it kind of forced me to go online and find podcasts and books and other resources. Yeah. And what, what did you find helpful about being online and, and what kind of books did you find helpful? Um, yeah. So, I mean, really online, I loved being able to find girls my age, I felt like when I went to, or, you know, women, when I went to AA, it was like, you know, older men, and it's not horrible, but it was just like, it, I didn't, and they had talked about losing their homes and their marriages, and I was like, I mean, I'm not doing great, but I still have all of that, you know, so it's like, there was a lot I didn't relate to. So I found a lot of women online that were recovering out loud. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I totally relate. Like, you know, you drink with your friends, but you knew it was problematic, you know. So I would say, you know, the Instagram world. And then I read a lot of books. I read um, Quit Like a Woman by um, Holly Whitaker, We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan, and um, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Yeah, those are all fantastic books. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, what would you say are your top tips for anyone looking to change their relationship with alcohol? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is really just questioning, you know, like I love like I learned in Tempest, it was, you know, I had made the decision to go sober. That was what I needed to do. But it was the first point of like asking yourself, like, reevaluating your relationship with alcohol and saying, wait, it, you know, am I living to my fullest? Like, is alcohol, it, you know, interfering with my life? You know, because I always say, like, you don't have to be an alcoholic or identify as one um, to even want to quit. You know, um, it can, you don't have to hit that rock bottom. So, you know, is it impacting your job? Do you wake up hungover? Is it, in, like, for me, a big one was I'm a runner and it took away the ability to do that because I was either drunk or hungover. Um, 
you know, so I would say just kind of being aware and like mindful of what that might look like. Um, and then, you know, kind of just leaning into, um, yeah, like online, man, I, my whole, all my social feeds are really curated around sobriety. So it is, I love seeing that. I like, it's like a positive dose, you know, during my day. Cause all of us scroll, I feel like we, you know, we're all online a lot. So just kind of, um, surrounding yourself with that, even being sober, curious, and just kind of looking at other lifestyles and kind of considering it. Yeah, I find that helpful too. Um, I also did, Annie Grace, who wrote This Naked Mind, has um, something called the Alcohol Experiment, and that's Mm. a 30-day free challenge, Um, and there's an online component to it as well. And when... I, cause you know, you feel so alone because you are around other Mm -hmm. people who are drinking as much or sometimes more than you. And you just think, wow, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why can't I handle this? And then to find all these people that are, are like you, like, oh, there's a whole world out there of people that aren't managing their drinking and have problems and they don't necessarily identify as alcoholics or hit rock bottom, um, but they're, they look like us, they act like us, you know, women, there are a lot of women, like you said. Yeah. Um, and then it was funny because I didn't start my Instagram account until November and I thought I'll probably be only like a few sober Instagram accounts, but there's like a whole pocket of Instagram, sober Instagram yeah. that is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. like they say the opposite of addiction is community. Exactly. Yeah. And I just learned that. Actually, I'm reading another good book. Um, gosh, it's by Gabor Mate. I could, Mate. I could be pronouncing his name wrong, but it's about addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just like he's a doctor who, you know, that's what he did is live, you know, took care of, you know, addicts. And uh, he was just talking about how, you know, it's like, it's a circle, right? Because what happens is when we drink a lot, and again, you don't have to be an alcoholic. It's like, you know, you, you, the problematic drinking can lead to drinking at home and you don't hang out with people. You're not as social, right? Uh, And then, yeah, you're cut off from your friends and family. And so it's just the cycle of being alone um, with your addiction. Well, and, and I was reading through some of your, your blog posts and you had mentioned that it's, harder this summer than last summer. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, right. So when I got out in Ohio, everything, I know, I think it was, you know, nationwide, but uh, everything had shut down. So the bars weren't open and that wasn't an option. Um, and I'm an extrovert and bars were kind of my, I mean, I would certainly drink at home after the bar, but I would find myself at the bar at happy hour and things like that. Um, Cause that really was my community. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it was, you know, mm-hmm. just being honest and, you know, and so, uh, that helped, right. It was crazy, but I mean, and I always like to preface it to say like, I, you know, my heart goes out to the restaurant industry and the bars and all that. Cause it's, I know that's, you know, people's livelihoods, but for me, it was strange. It helped. Um, because again, not an option. Um, so I lived my first, gosh, year almost pretty much without going to gatherings and barbecues you know I mean last year at this time fourth of July I I was with my grandma and you know she's high risk like we couldn't hide in the pandemic so we couldn't go anywhere um 
so I didn't even really, I wasn't faced with it. I didn't have to learn to cope with it. I didn't have to learn to be around people that were drinking or learn how to, what I, how I wanted to identify or how I wanted to say no to drinks. Um, so, you know, now I think I'm at like 500 something days, 13 days sober, you know, and, uh, I did just start going to barbecues and, you know, shows like I love it. Like I, I belong to a local improv group and they all drink. And so it's like, um, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I thought this was going to be easy, but it's not, uh, because I'm almost like in early recovery again, where I'm having to learn what it looks like to socialize without alcohol. And what does that look like? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's been amazing. I, I would say the first month or so when things were opening up, it has, it was hard. Um, I had to, you know, I had to learn to put my boundaries up and, you know, my, what's helped me is my friends know that I'm sober. Um, you know, they, I, they know because of online, but then in person, they also know. So it's, you know, we, I just went out with a girlfriend, uh, for mocktails and she was amazing. She didn't drink. I think she may have had one alcoholic drink, you know, but we got mocktails together and dinner. And so I've just surrounded myself with people who either don't drink or if they do are mindful of their drinking around me. And I am by no means like, I don't tell people like you can't drink or, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. like that. I don't make people you know, feel uncomfortable. Um, but I also where am aware of my own boundaries where it's like, okay, I'm going to leave early before things get a little crazy, you know? Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's, it's been great. It's just kind of leaning into my comfort zone and learning. And I've had awkward moments. I remember I sat down with my good friend recently, um, at the bar to get a mocktail and we sat down and someone handed us shots, you know, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like we didn't even order them. Um, you know, and so I was like, oh, thank you. I don't really drink. And so I love recovering out loud because I want people to also understand that, like, not everybody drinks. You know what I mean? Like, whether you're in recovery or not, there's also a lot of people out there who just don't drink. So I want to n- normalize sobriety or so being sober curious. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's like a health choice, really. Mm hmm. Exactly. And I want to make the space for that. That's why I like a thousand hours dry because it's like trying to be more inclusive other than people I identify, you know, I'm in recovery and I'm an alcoholic, but there's also just people that I've met who are like, I don't like how I feel, you know, when Mm -hmm. I drink and what's it like to go to a barbecue or a party or, you know, hang out without alcohol. Uh, and a lot of my friends have been like, this is great. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so, yeah. And you feel good the next day. And you yeah, can... <laughs> exactly. You wake up and you can get things done and you can exercise. I mean, it's, it's been, I, I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, I sobriety is the best gift I've ever given myself. For sure. For sure. What now tell me, you've mentioned a thousand hours dry. Um, yeah. Explain a little bit about that and what you do um, with mm-hmm. the thousand hours dry military. Yeah. So a thousand hours dry, they just started, I think um, just like either challenge or like online um, thing that people can join um, where it's like, I think thousand hours would be like 42 days without alcohol. And so it kind of just invites anybody that may want to stop drinking or question their, you know, uh, relationship with alcohol to join in, um, with an online movement. And I think they partnered with like reframe app, um, which I think you pay, but let me be the first week is free where you can 
find, you know, resources, kind of count the days you're sober, that kind of thing. Um, but we do, we just started an account called 1000 hours dry military. Um, and so really, you know, I'm a military spouse, um, and military spouse community. I mean, we, I mean, I don't now, but I used to drink with military spouses all the time. Um, because we move, you don't have, it's very difficult to make friends. Um, and so, you know, making friends can be awkward, right? Like it's just weird. You don't know people, uh, you're kind of thrown together because of your spouse. Um, and so alcohol can ease that, you know, it could be something that we all have in common right away. Um, you know, and ease the awkwardness of that. So we also just talk about sobriety and what it looks like, or even again, um, they don't usually say sobriety. We say like alcohol free just to kind of be inclusive, but, um, I just share what it's like to be an alcohol-free spouse. And have you had um, members of the military community or people in your life since you've gotten sober come to you for help? Yeah, so um, I would say, first of all, um, it's been cool. My husband stopped drinking as well, I think. He was more of, he identifies like that gray area drinker, non-alcoholic, but he knew he kind of had a problem. So he watched my process and journey uh, and made his own decision to quit drinking a few months ago, which has been incredible. Um, so, you know, I think I, I helped him just kind of figure out his own journey and process. And then um, I would say I haven't had military reach out just yet. I did just start, I think, maybe like a month ago um, or two months ago hosting that page um and it's still gaining traction it's like a newer part of the thousand hours drive but i have had many people uh reach out actually who are drinking or who um you know have family members that are drinking and you know i'm not a counselor or therapist i always say that but i'm like i can just share what's worked for me and you know kind of show you um you know that my life is so much better so yeah in that in that essence i have talked to a lot of people yeah, I've, I'm always surprised if I post on my public public page. I I always have someone reach out to me, and it's usually surprising. Like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, you just yeah. don't know. You really don't know. Yes. Exactly. Oh, I like especially when I first opened up about it. I had people saying, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much!" Like, I'm currently struggling. Um, and they, they would be honest. They're like, I'm not really looking to get sober yet. Uh, but I follow you. You're encouraging, like, thank you so much because, you know, I've suffered in silence and I felt so alone. And yeah, that, it's just like you said, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. So, yeah. Well, how has your life changed since removing alcohol? Oh my gosh. I mean, everything, <laughs> every area. I remember my, uh, my sponsor had me write down like, every way that alcohol negatively impacted my life. And I started the list and I was like, oh, it's like there were maybe three or five ways. And I was like, Oh my goodness. You know? So I mean, every way I can think of my marriage, uh, my health, physically, my mental health, my friendships, my money. I mean, I was spending a lot of money on alcohol. I think that's good. You know, I give it. Yeah. And then I've just like healed, right? Like I've worked on healing trauma. I'm learning how to deal with my anxiety without substances. And then um, the other one is, you know, on a fun note too, it's like I just picked up fun new things. Like I started an improv class and I started boxing and, you know, because you want to find community outside of alcohol. 
like I said, the bars were my community. Um, and so I just found some cool things about myself. I'm like, wow, I'm kind of good at being fun and on stage. And like, what does that even look like? And I've gotten a little more creative. Um, I've started writing more and you know, that kind of thing. So, um, honestly, everything has gotten better, but I mean, I will preface it to say like life still keeps happening, (laughs) you know, like it's, there's still challenges. I just, I'm not making them worse by drinking. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. hundred percent. What are your plans for the future? Um, yeah. So actually since getting sober, I have decided to, um, go back to school and get my master's to become like a family therapist. Um, and so I'm taking the GRE actually, which take that means to like get into grad school. Um, so I'm applying this summer and then hopefully if I get accepted, go back to school next, um, spring to be, uh, uh, like a family, uh, therapist. And then hopefully looking into maybe even becoming, uh, an addictions counselor and kind of look walking down and seeing what that looks like. That's fantastic. I mean, you're already helping people. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know what, I, I think that's part of why I made the decision to, to make a career change was I do have a lot of people reach out and I'm like, you know what, I'm only limited in what I can give resource wise. Uh, and so I was like, I would really love to, like, I have a marketing background. So I was like, I would love to kind of figure out how to uh, take uh, what I learn in therapy and, you know, school and make it accessible, um, by building, you know, an online brand. And so that's kind of, you know, the route that I'd like to take. Yeah. Well, how can someone find you? Yeah. So, um, Instagram, I, I think, like I said, is kind of just the main, um, place I'm at. So it's just, uh, C and then Kimbro, K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H-1. Um, and then I am on, um, just like you said, website, ChristinaKimbro.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and inspiring other people. I really oh appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it, it's it's you're doing great work with your podcast. You know, I think it's important to share different ways of recovery. And I think you do that, you know, very well. It's just like there's not a one size fits all for anybody, you know, and there's all kinds of us in recovery or whether it's, you know, sober curious or not. So I appreciate you and thank you for letting me share my story. Absolutely. Attention Idaho and California residents. If you're shopping for a mortgage, contact PacFi, a mortgage brokerage with the top wholesale lenders in the nation. They are committed to simplifying the mortgage process, saving you time and money. Call 858-442-7048 or visit pacfi.com. NMLS number 1462943, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Alcohol Tipping Point. I'm always here for you guys, so please feel free to reach out and talk to me on Instagram at Alcohol Tipping Point and check out my website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. Again, I hope you can use these tips we talked about for the rest of your week. And until then, see you next time.